Hello and welcome to this episode of the Venus and Vesta Evolutionary Astrology Podcast. This episode takes us for uh, from the 1st of March up to about the 19th, 20th of March, which is actually the equinox, spring in the northern hemisphere, autumn in the southern hemisphere. And of course, with tropical astrology, we are using this equinox as the point where the astrological zodiac um, cycle starts. It starts as soon as the sun moves into Aries and Aries being the first sign of the zodiac. It's also Aries is like the ignition. So we are using this date, which will be the 20th of March, as the point where we start the zodiac for astrology, for sorry, tropical astrology. And in the same way, I was thinking about the last episode when we spoke about how we use the leap year then every four years and the leap day to bring us back into alignment so that our spring and autumn are fixed to the equinoxes and the the solstices so that we actually have seasons that match up with the dates on the calendar. So we know where we are within the year. And knowing that we have these equinoxes and solstice and that we make an effort to keep in alignment with that, I wanted to delve into more of the the sort of development, the formation of the solar system, the formation of the zodiac and humanity as it relates to us here on Earth and what we are doing right now. And this goes right back to Atlantis before Atlantis, which was then Lemuria. And even then before Lemuria, we had previous uh, what is it, root races or epochs that um, were the Hyperborean and then before that the Polarian. Um, and I find this absolutely fascinating that we actually have these previous periods that modern science doesn't really go into. They have a different way of explaining it. And there's been a lot of work with, um, uh, well, mostly a lot a lot with Steiner, but not, not, not only Steiner, on these previous eras and how Earth has developed and how the solar system was developed, because it's all developed together to work as one. And really, they were, they developed, they were more etheric energy and uh, astral etheric energy before they actually became physical, which is a exactly the same as a human before we actually had physical bodies. So right back when in Polarium, we would call um, the, the sort of the earth, well, earth and, the, and our solar system was all one. And at that point, we have Saturn pulling out and all the universe came up to the ring where Saturn is now. And when Saturn pulled out, we called it old Saturn. And then we move through into the Hyperborea, And that's when old sun pulls out, or we call it the sun pulls out. And that is, um, that's when the zodiac belt was created, when the light came out of the earth. And then we moved to Lemuria and the moon pulled out. And that's a very liquid place. So that, you know, we were still in a liquid sense and not, hadn't properly formed. So Lemuria was old moon. And that is when the fall happened with Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden. And then we moved to Atlantis, where we had probably formed, but we were doing a lot of thieving uh, of each other, soul theft. And obviously, famously, Atlantis obviously was destroyed. So, um, and all well, Lemuria before that, destroyed by fire. Lemuria, uh, sorry, Lemuria by fire. I can't speak. Lemuria by fire and Atlantis by water. And apparently this current era by air 
if we are indeed to be destroyed. And you can see what we're doing to the air already. But others say we have actually passed that point of destroying ourselves. So to put it in context, there are seven chains of Earth of rounds, seven chains, and we are in the fourth chain. So we're midway and we're in the fourth round of that chain. So we're midway of that. We are actually in the fourth globe, Earth globe creation, because, you know, it's like creating each time to perfect. And we are in the fifth root race. And that means the fifth root race means the Aryan race, which is the and it doesn't mean race as in, uh, you know, racially as we understand it now. But so we have the Polarian, Hyperborean, Lemurian, Atlantic and Aryan. So um, that's we're in that fifth root race there. And now we're in the fifth sub race. So within this uh, sense, it goes from the Indian, the Persian, Egyptian, then the Greco-Roman, which was the densest, because each time we're breathing into density and coming back to spirit. So, so um, in that sense, the being the fourth chain of and the fourth round, we're in the in we're in the densest point of manifest reality, and so we just passed that point because now we're in the fifth root race, the Aryan, and the fifth sub race. So it goes, yeah, Indian. Persian, Egyptian, and then Greco-Roman, which is the dentist, which is when we got to the dentist point where Jesus then came and brought the Christ energy back into Earth. And then we're now in the Anglo-Germanic. The next one coming up is the Russo-Slavic. And then after that is the American. So we are um, on a process where we've gone over halfway. So I was looking at this to check how was this when was the zodiac formed within this and in the second period the hyperborean the sun and earth were together they were combined together and then the sun pulled out what we call old sun it pulled out in the middle of this period and therefore then light was outside of humans or humanity should we say because i don't suppose we were humans at that point but the light was now outside of us and this meant that we were really connected to the earth as our mother. And the light, you know, of the sun wasn't with us, was, wasn't within us, wasn't together with us anymore. It was without. And this is the Christ light. And we had to pass through this darkness to find the light again as a spirit self, as a deeper wisdom and understanding. And, and we also refer to this as the separation the separation from light, from the separation from all that we know and love, or actually from the love, as it were. And then going forward, coming to our current era or the era before us, the, the uh, Greco-Roman, the reuniting of this Christ energy within the earth through Jesus Christ, the man, or we should call him Jesus, the man, reconnects this inner sun Christ energy back into earth. And it, from that point, it's continued to grow across the earth. And that's why the Christ codes are so important for us and the Christ, initi Christ code initiations. And this is coming through as an etheric energy, really kind of, and, and it's there for us to connect with. Now, around that time of the Hyperborean, because of this light coming out, it was like the Zodiac was created as a cradle for humanity to surround us. And of course, there are other constellations. And every so often they say there's a ninth or twelfth or thirteenth constellation. Yes, there are. There's millions of constellations. And yes, it is kind of slightly positioned in a place. But these were chosen 
these were these were the band zodiac band to um support and and stream energy down into humanity so humanity could be developed at the time and i mean at the time in the hyperborean period this is when the um constellation of pisces was radiating down through down to to the world um sorry i'm gonna start with that one again so at that time when jesus was bringing this christ energy onto earth we just finished the whole um aries the uh, the um, age of Aries, and we were coming into the age of Pisces. Pisces was therefore radiating down to the world, and Jesus therefore received the initiation of the fishes in order to receive this light again. And there are countless references to the disciples as fishers of men, and um, the guardian of the grail becomes the fisher king. Pisces actually rules the feet, and this idea is that the, that man has to stand properly on earth in order to receive this Christ with proper uprightness of character so that you're receiving this in an upright manner in a knowing way not you're not actually receiving it you're actually sort of being the, the correct um, manner in which to receive this and and the feet contain mystery information to do with the physical being and or the body of Christ or the Christed human that's some big fan of reflexology in that sense we live in the age of Pisces now which is going to go on for a while <clears throat> where we have understood ourselves as separate to God you know there's that separation and we've also given away our power and Pisces is brilliant at that <laughs> and um, but we have an immense creative impulses and emotional richness which is what Pisces has too we have that you know and to have a life here on earth it's like the emotional landscape is so rich and vast and complicated and and you know is a real learning school for that so um this is what the age of Pisces is giving us even though we might feel that we're in this kind of slave motion that we've given away so much of our power and when you look at the ages I always feel like the age coming in seems to come in quite early because as I say the age of of before the age of Pisces we have the age of Aries and that was actually when Jesus was alive it was um, the second time we'd had an age of Aries so it was that 26,000 year wobble or as as it's been argued 24,000 years because of, of the idea of the stretching of time in the second half but um, this earlier or this Aries time that we have had before the Pisces, it lasted from 1946 BC before Christ, so nearly 2,000 years before Christ, until 215 AD, roughly the halfway through the end of the Roman Empire. But um, yeah, so that that was coming through, and obviously the Roman Empire was very Aries. But we talk about, you know, like now, we also talk about the fact that we've got this age of Aquarius coming in. There's so many things that make us think we're in the age of Aquarius, but we're still in this Pisces giving our energy away, <laughs> still being ruled by someone else and still thinking the power is beyond ourselves and not understanding our own creative abilities. So I'm just seeing that that was what was happening then. If you look at those dates, um, because here, the, I've read in my book on the Pleiadians, channeled 
to or by the Palladians, um, and also from my teacher, Dr. Yubra Sharma. So there's two different dates here. One is the Palladian, one is the uh, 2160, 2160, and the other one is 2375, 2375. So we've got a while to get to the end of Pisces, beginning of Aquarius properly. But like before, I still think we've got this dual idea of the, the first and the second coming in together. It started, it started already. Do you agree? Do you think so too? But going back to the Hyperborean, this was the fifth, um, or before our current time, Hyper, obviously, let's start again. <laughs> going back to the Hyperborean, this was when the constellation was actually formed and kind of selected as a stream to come and cosset, cradle humanity. And it was in old Saturn, which is the Polarian, before we had human bodies, um, Saturn was kind of critical for us to materialise. Saturn rules the manifest material world. And, and Saturn coming out was allowing us to become physically manifest before we were ether, light, chemical ether, light ether um, and spirit. And, and old Saturn was actually a heat world. And you imagine Saturn, Saturn's metal is lead and lead is um, so soft you can write with it it's that's the there's so much heat natural heat within it and at that point the zodiac around old Saturn the world was not clearly differentiated constellations as we know them now but like beams of fire and light encircling as an ocean of flame I mean it must have been beautiful just kind of flickering You've, we've seen you know how nebula um, you know form in the stars it must have looked like that very specifically coming around the world in this ring of fire this beautiful electrical storm as it were um, and old Saturn then was formed as a result actually of the sacrifice from the beings within the zodiac and that therefore also shows you how Saturn is kind of, you know, he's the he's the Lord time, Lord time, the Lord, the time of Lord, Lord of time. Sorry, Saturn is the time. Saturn is the Lord of time. He is kind of, you know, Lord of karma, too. He is the daddy, really. And so. There was this sacrifice from the beings of Zodiac so that Saturn could be formed. And therefore, there's then these beaming forces also projected into old Saturn as well as into the, to the human, you know, but to create the germinal idea of the physical man, the very seed of the physical man over a really long period of time. Um, you know, it's beaming down quite through along millions, billions of years. I don't know the actual timescape of that. But it starts, obviously, with this, this these electrical impulses from, say, Aries beaming down into the head. Aries rules the head. And then Aries, you know, then you go to the throat and the way we self-express with Taurus and you can maybe go to the, the warmth ether, the warmth that comes from Leo and the heart region or Virgo with the with the upper intestines. So the human was built by these lights and chemical ethers and um, you know, energy streaming down from the sort of in self-forming zodiac to actually build us as a physical physical being. And they actually worked with Saturn who brings things into manifest world. 
So he was key in that. And these are like the emanations from these primordial constellations or zodiac beings. And I use a lot beings term a lot, but it's not like a being like we know it. But, you know, this I'm thinking of conscious energy. So, yeah, old Saturn here and that time Polarian to Hyperborean was key in having this zodiacal world so that humans could be brought into physical um, into physical formation. I tell you who actually describes this brilliantly is in the book The History of the World by Jonathan Black. He absolutely takes us back to this kind of primordial soup and the light working through us, the chemical ethers, all working through us to create mankind and bring us into consciousness of physical reality, physical consciousness. So this is described in his book, Jonathan Black. and I think that was his pseudonym, his pen name. And it's the history of the world. And if you're into this kind of thing, that's that's a really good book to read. Um, the other book, which is by my teacher, Dr. Yubraj Sharma, and contact me if you want to get a copy. I don't know if it is on Amazon. I don't think it is. But Spirit, Earth and Human Evolution. I mean, that's in, his writing is incredible on this and gives you more of the technical details and a lot where I'm, I get a lot of my information from, from um, Dr. Yubraj Sharma. All credit goes to him. Well, a lot. <laughs> and my dedication to him, of course. And then and so forth. So what we're saying is here that the constellations, this ring of, of fire, of um, ocean of flame, as they once were, are emanating down to uh, surround the human, to form the human, but also to contain the human's evolution and protecting it spiritually, uh, energetically from the rest of the solar system and beyond like a container. So we've kind of got this um, zodiac here protecting us and being part of us. And it understands our journey here. It's very specific to our journey here as humans. And like we're part of it. It is part part of us. Um, and that, for me, kind of really helps me understand the more depth um, wisdom, I'd say, or the inner understanding of why we are connected to astrology and why it actually works, because it is actually intrinsic to our growth here and why we are here. So I wanted to start with that because it did connect back to our last discussion um, with the leap year when we're coming to equinox here. We're going to finish this episode at the equinox, but I'm going to start with March. This brings us to March. Um, and not that we've got these huge, powerful aspects to go through, Not, but there seems to be, to start with March, is a stellium or group of planets appearing in each of the signs. So in, in Aquarius, Pisces, Aries and Taurus, that's where all the planets are. So, and, so I said it again, that's where all the planets are. All the planets are in those four signs for the whole of March. And that's kind of quite powerful for those signs. And there are no aspects beyond those four signs, except for when the moon moves around. I should say, except for when the moon orbits around, uh, to use a more precise astrological term. And right now we have, we still have um, Venus, Mars and Pluto in Aquarius. Those are the first um, triplet, although... Venus and Mars are moving together through Aquarius quite powerfully, only a couple of degrees apart now. Um, and Pluto has now moved on to one degree and only gets, to, you know, it's going to retrograde later on in the year. But uh, there's there's those three in Aquarius. 
And then in Pisces, we have Mercury, we have the Sun, we have Saturn and still have Neptune all in Pisces. Then in Aries, we have the North Node where the eclipses will be happening and the Chiron. We've just had the Chiron North Node um, conjunction, powerful conjunction about our future. And soon Mercury will be joining them. And then in Taurus, of course, we have the superpower of Jupiter and Uranus together in Taurus. So these are all going to really, they're so close together that the really the, mo the, the biggest aspect between them is the conjunction, as they're all quite tight together, or in um, a sextile. And the sextile is are, are, and I hate to see positive, negative, but they are quite positive. It is quite juicy to have a sextile. So they might be sextiling each other and really creating a quite a nice um, excitement and activity and, and, and it's going to be helpful and supportive. And it only really starts with, um, there's only a, a few squares at either end of these um, sort of running of, of planets all the way in one quarter of the zodiac. And on the 2nd and 3rd of March, Venus makes that square. Venus will be making an exact square to Uranus at 19 degrees. They're both at 19 degrees. Venus at Aquarius, 19 degrees. Uranus at Taurus, 19 degrees. And this is like a break for freedom. You know, this is a clever manipulation and artful, should we say, um, a movement of ideas or suggestion of ideas to push the agenda or even draw the agenda because you know Venus is good at magnetizing things and drawing them to you and here with Uranus he's kind of like come on a bit unstable let's thrust this through with the square this is where you know what is going on in the world let's let's move this around you know Venus is here really to to ask the right questions or or allow you to draw out what's going on in your heart to connect with what's going on. And I really felt that this is super helpful for Julian Assange. You know, the Venus in Aquarius, like asking the right questions and bringing the heart, the, um, the emotional aspect to really the philosophical questions where Uranus, who actually rules Aquarius, uh, is then going to be going, are we going to bring about the freedom? Are we going to break free from these constraints or these rules, these set of arbitrary, well not arbitrary, but set, these set of rules that have been created that um, have imprisoned this individual? And perhaps like, likewise, there's an, is a break for freedom for ourselves or a fresher understanding of why we are doing what we're doing. Because this Venus here, she can break the current narrative around so many of our kind of stuck ideas when she's working with Uranus. And then on the 8th of March, we have um, very clever and very sweet. We have Mercury, tricky Mercury, but clever in Pisces, in the emotional landscape, meeting with the grand illusion of Neptune. They're meeting at 27 degrees um, sorry, not meeting and everything. They're meeting at 27 degrees Pisces. Can I start that again? I can say, however, on the 8th of March, we have the quite clever and very sweet Mercury, who is in Pisces and going to be meeting with the grand illusion that is Neptune. They're meeting at 27 degrees Pisces. It kind of reminded me of that song, Tell Me Lies, Tell Me Sweet Little Lies. This is like Mercury coming on a little bit tricky, 
and perhaps a day for deception or for coming out with some unbelievable, wildly unbelievable truths, you know, blurting things out. You know, this is the idea of seeing what information is really there or, you know, this, the truth's coming out or maybe the truth is there but not really believed. You know, kind of can't believe that that can be true. Or on the other hand, absolute lies that then are believed and accepted. You know, this is where with Mercury and Neptune, you know, our imagination can go wild. Our imagination can come out with the most crazy things, but then we can receive some of this stuff as well. And, you know, we've got to understand whether we we feel it's true or not. Um, what can we accept would be part of that. And it is a super creative time as well. So again, it's a time to really kind of use your imagination to go beyond what you'd originally conceived of many of the activity in your life. So have a look at what's going on at 27 degrees in your planets and how it works, where, what house 27 degrees Pisces is. Um, and, you know, use your imagination around that. And I like the idea also that on this day, the 8th of March, the moon actually enters into Pisces to join Mercury, the sun, Saturn and Neptune. So there's a real boost of this Piscean energy. There's like an elaboration. Um, you know, and I know Pisces is sometimes a lack of clarity and then maybe that will be emphasised. But, you know, when the fog comes in, there's a mystery going on. There's a, you know, it's not, you're not quite sure. This is moon emphasizing this fog in, in Pisces with Neptune being activated. Um, and as while there's this huge creative potential, there's also the idea of absolutely surrendering to what is surrendering what to what's going to happen. So you can be totally open because in being lost, uh, and being lost for a momentarily, surrendering to that, and then finding something on the other side of that, I think is kind of, as well, also hugely creative, instead of having to rack your brains. Um, so yeah, check check what um, planets or angles you have at 27 degrees, or where 27 degrees Pisces is in your chart, and start working, start, start um, channeling, shall we say. <laughs> Yes, channeling, because really this this can also increase your your psychic powers and your sensitivity. You know, you're going to be completely open to something that may arrive at your desk, at your doorstep. Um, so, yeah, be receptive. Be aware also that you are completely open and might be uh, slightly sensitive as well. And within this kind of heightened, sensitive, creative time, on the 9th of March, Mars then, following in the footsteps closely behind Venus, then also makes a square at 19 degrees, an exact square, to Uranus. And this is kind of a bit more feisty. I mean, it's very much more feisty. And this, this looks like the, the theatre, the landscape created by Mercury and Neptune together, and indeed by then by Venus and Uranus, the more creative idea, this is like, this is comes in, the Mars comes in like the bad boss to kick the door in and bring us to our senses, bring us to our senses. Of course, Mars, Mars in Aquarius is super feisty and, you know, idea of this is adding to the complications in the world. You know, he's, he's making a square to Uranus, which, which, he, which Uranus then rules Aquarius. So this is kind of electrifying energy. 
and this is could be you know a wild outage this is could be quite an explosive energy and also i feel like could bring about freedom this is like yes the doors are being kicked down and yes again i'm going to say julian assange please god you know that this could be the idea here now that that this could be the opening you know, we've had the Venus, Venus coming in, I said Venusian kind of energies coming in going, these are the reasons why. Can't you feel this in your heart? These are the values that we need to uphold in humanity. And then Mars comes along, goes, do it, break for freedom. Mars and Uranus is going to snap us out of any kind of reverie. But again, it's super creative. Um, there's unpredictability here. Um, and it could feel like a wild rebellion, a wild protest. We've seen the protests going on from farmers to um, Gaza protests, you know, all in the headlines. And I think these could become wildly even disrupted, but they might also have some chance of working, have some chance of really kind of making something happen. You know, Mars isn't here to muck around. You know, yes, he's kind of feisty and angry, but yeah, he's going to take action and make sure things do happen at the result of these protests. So I'm I'm looking forward to some of this. <laughs> Whilst I, you know, don't want really too aggressive to happen, of course. Nothing too violent, please. Let's keep it chill. But yes, let's use this energy to get things done that we need to happen. And then, of course, on the next day, on the 10th of uh, March, we have the new moon in, in Pisces. I mean, like everything's going on in Pisces, like I said, but this new moon in Pisces is at 20 degrees Pisces. And it's the same day that little tricky Mercury with all the info moves into Aries, start a klaxon. This can bring about brilliant ideas and bring them into formation. This is super creative energy again. So this is where we kind of surrender. This is a new moon, a big surrender to our emotional world to listen to what's really going on in our dreams and, and, and be slightly intuitive about that. You know, listen, learn to receive, learn to be open to what's coming in as much as you might feel you're too open. And there is an overwhelm caveat to that. If you have a lot of water in your sign, you might be way open. But if you're not use this, um, use this to give yourself some kind of impetus into the creative emotional world and here this this is a new moon and it's actually both conjunct saturn and neptune so you know saturn here you know, whatever you're dreaming of saturn here can give it the rubber stamp of authority this is like saturn really kind of stabilizes things and goes yeah yeah you this is going to happen this is the commitment we need and yet, on the other side of this, and it actually looks a bit closer, it is a degree closer, we have, and so, so, this new moon is midpoint, it's a midpoint, midway between Saturn and Neptune. So Neptune is here as well, and here, Neptune is taking us way beyond our current reality. Neptune is like so super expansive here, and, and allowing the boundaries to break down. Um, so this means our dream time. Our, our subconscious sense, our intuition, here we are totally open. You know, perhaps there will then, you know, we are open to what's going on in the world and empathy to our fellow man in an emotional sense. And perhaps here we are then, there may be a huge outpouring of utter grief for the amount of deaths that have been going on. You know, 
I mean, we, you know, we've left a whole generation of men in Ukraine. And then the idea of all those children and families and lives in Gaza. I mean, the deaths are unbelievable that we've allowed this to go on. And in fact, our taxes have paid for it. It's absolutely galling. And this Pisces new moon may bring about a whole sway, the tsunami of this grief and empathy and understanding, deep understanding of what really is going on on an emotional level on our planet. And, and on this level, it may surprise some of us, you know, that the, the more open we are, the more vulnerable we make ourselves at this lunation, the more we find we have then connection to others. It's like the barriers will be breaking down between ourselves, between each other. And this, there is this huge tsunami of, of emotional, but this could also be, if it's not in the grief style and check which house it's happening, it's 20 degrees Pisces. Um, this could be an opening for romance. It could be an opening for creativity. You know, th these could be good things as well as, as allowing our sorrow and, and deep emotional world to open up. And as it was at a midpoint between Saturn, who has been in Pisces now for a year, and Neptune, who's been in Pisces since I think 2011, you know, I'm looking at these two planets are slowly coming together. And it's funny, I think, well, not funny, but, you know, a quirk that Saturn has been in Pisces uh, for a year and it's only got two and a half years in Pisces but the whole year first year of it has been stayed right at the beginning it's only just reached you know a little bit to the end of this first de decan so now it's only got 18 months left in in Pisces so after this new moon uh, Saturn is actually going to start to speed up a little bit and move much closer to Neptune. So we have this phenomenal meeting of two giants of Saturn, serious, committed, stable, Saturn in, in charge of the manifest world. And then we have Neptune who is dissolving, breaking down and, and opening up and doesn't have those boundaries. And it's the non-manifest world. So the two opposites really are coming together. Yeah, coming together over the next 18 months. So there's these two giants coming together. And then, of course, we have another two giants coming together. Jupiter, who, by the same quirk, has also spent his, he's only has a year in Taurus, but he spent all of that up to sort of, you know, in the first decan. And, and so it's kind of an unusual way of the both these planets have come into their, uh, roughly in the same time last year, have come into the new signs um, Pisces and Taurus respectively and they've stayed in the first decan so Jupiter is here in the first decan and now uh, coming after the uh, into April we'll have the conjunction with Uranus and that is completely explosive so he's Jupiter now has only got um, a couple of months left in Taurus and, and so it's got to do two thirds of the whole sign in that fast time and make this conjunction with Uranus. The Jupiter-Uranus conjunction is going to be the mind-blowing volcanic shift in April, in mid-April. So we're heading towards that. That, I think, is kind of nuclear. So right now we have two sets of outer planets slowly coming together. And I feel like this 
noon on the 10th of March uh, in between the first or the second set really because it's going to take longer between Saturn and Neptune that's kind of kicking off that pairing of them now we're going to start coming together so I looked at this, the history of these two pairings, and the last time Jupiter and Uranus was together was in 2010. And I thought, what was going on in 2010? And it's funny enough, they were together. Um, so the conjunction of the other two is going to, you know, they're going to, it's going to, they're coming close and close together in Pisces. So where did Jupiter and Uranus meet in 2010? They met at 26 degrees Pisces. And, and Neptune is at 27 degrees Pisces right now. I'm like, wow, that's incredible. They actually met, Jupiter and Uranus last met in 2010 together on the point where Neptune is now. I love this astrology quirks. So I look back and you're like, what, what was happening then? Apparently there was, you know, Neptune, in the Neptune scheme of things, because you know, Jupiter and Uranus meeting here are crazy that the, uh, there was unfortunately a really big boat crash in Australia. It sunk with hundreds of immigrants, refugees on it, and there were 48 dead from that. That was a horror that was happening. There was also the launch of the Falcon 9. This was the, this is SpaceX, first private company to, to, to launch into space, to orbit around and to recover a spacecraft and that's totally uranium totally uranium that's the boost it needed and then also we had um, the Japanese had an Icarus spacecraft that went to Venus I mean wow that was what was going on then but then on the exact day that Jupiter and Uranus met at 27 degrees Pisces we had the Arab Spring starting and this was when a young man set, oh God, set himself afire to, in protest in front of the government buildings. And it created the most massive ongoing rebellion within the Arab nations. And I was looking, I was Googling this before, of course, and they were demanding the removal of the regime. I'm actually looking at a poster saying, we demand the removal of the regime. So there was these mad protests going on. And you think, well, what is going on now? It's the same thing, but not in the Arab world, but in other countries. We're having these huge protests that I mentioned that I think are about to really kick off. Or not even kick off, but really actually people are going to have to start listening to what these protests are demanding. So if the Arab Spring started in December 2010, when Jupiter and Uranus came together, now they are coming together uh, in 2024, in April. So I wonder what kind of, a, you know, combustion can happen, what kind of like um, rebel re revolution can happen then. So then I looked at, so what happened then was the last time that Saturn came together with Neptune. You never guess what, loving these uh, astrological certainties, they came together, Saturn and Neptune, the last time they came together was on the 9th of November, 1989. That was the exact day that the Berlin Wall came down. Wow, you know, we have the Arab Spring, we have the Berlin Wall, two of these major things are going on. Now, the Berlin Wall was the end of a very long-standing regime and Saturn is about long-standing things and Neptune is about dissolving things. 
So this was an incredible dissolving of the long-standing regime. So this is, this is unbelievable. This powerful conjunction is going to be happening again. And we're leading up to it now. It actually doesn't happen at the end of Pisces. It happens on zero degrees Aries. So I think this is super powerful in itself. And we can talk about that in future um, episodes. But wow. So there's these two conjunctions that are slowly forming in our skies and kind of kicking off around this uh, new moon here. And these conjunctions are now going to be happening within two years of each other. The conjunction now is um, the first conjunction will be in April and the next one will be in 18 months. Uh, these two conjunctions happening. So you don't need me to tell you the math on these two coming into uh, bring again the same kind of revolutionary power, you know, and we already have Pluto moving into Aquarius. And Pluto in Aquarius, of course, we know, brought around the American Revolution and the French Revolution. So I feel like the, this new moon, this innocent little new moon in Pisces, which we all think, oh, we can all dream and we can all look at our emotions and process them and, you know, um, have a very creative time. No, this is like whale power, Pisces fish. This is like going to be a huge are we ready because this is where it kicks off I feel this is going to get a really big emotional engagement where people understand on an emotional level where they need to be doing what they need to be doing and where they're going where they're heading where this is head where this is all heading and having huge empathy for one another you know power to the people and this is how it grows so all props to the, the Pisces new moon on the 10th of March. So after that little bit of excitement that I've had, we then go move on to Mercury is going to be moving at the same day into to Aries, uh, which is, again, the fresh thinking. I mentioned this. And then on the 11th of March, the next day, we have the lovely Pisces moving into uh, sorry, then we have the lovely Venus moving into Pisces too. And this adds to the creativity. This is the um, the idealism and the romance that is possible in this Pisces season. So as much as we might be having this empathetic um, connection over the grief and sorrow, there is chance for romance here. There is chance for love and loving ourselves and loving others and, and really bringing out some beauty within this, especially then on the next day. The what I like about uh, what I like about Venus moving into Pisces is that she's conjunct the asteroid Circe, who I absolutely adore and align with. Circe is the enchantress. She is the shapeshifter and she's also a herbalist. So get your healing skills out. You know, this is a really good time to connect into your own healing skills and what you're doing, what you love. Um, get out any of your magical rituals or your sacred processes, your healing processes and delve deeper into the realms of spirit. So there's all waiting there for you on the 10th and 11th of, of, of March. And so moving on the 10th and 11th of March. On to the 17th of March, we continue our Piscean romance uh, because then the sun then makes a conjunction to Neptune. 
And this is going to emphasize and enhance and continue all these feelings that have been kind of given free reign and that we've been talking about. It does mean that if there were tears flowing, there's going to be more tears flowing if that's where you were at with this. It may mean the grief, the sorrow, the empathy around the world is going to enhance this anti-war feeling. It's going to increase phenomenally, whether you're engaged with that or not. And you don't have to be engaged with that because God knows we've got enough going on in our personal lives. But this, you know, there is this feeling here. Um, and it is going to also then increase the creative processes and keep them going. So, you know, if you're on creating on a project, this is a phenomenal sort of blast of creative wind for you. And if you're open to the psychic realm, you know, listen up for some more interdimensional visions and understand that you, you know, humanity is ready to enhance our connection to beyond the veil. We are, as I've said before, in the in the idea of, you know, the breathing in, moving into density and moving out of density back to spirit. We are on our way back and this will help us. And. And also it's going to enable the love and the romance to flow. It's ticking all those boxes. And so on this day, on the 17th, when the sun conjunct Neptune, it's going to be more of what we've just been experiencing. And you can switch tracks. You know, you can be going, oh, having all the grief and then, oops, I've got a bit of romance. Or having the romance. And can you know, I'm going to use this to enhance my creativity right now and get something moving on that level too. Moving on, we... I just want to remind everyone that we are in APDM. APDM is all planets direct motion. So we've been going in this full flow. No planets are retrograde. And this is going to continue all of March. And so we're going at a pace. So things can flow. And, you know, have we noticed that the world leaders, you know, just going ahead with plans, unchecked and uh, unbridled. So opportunities are occurring fast and, and things that you don't want to happen as well are going fast. So wherever we come to that Mercury gets to the 18th of, of um, I said September, gets to the 18th of March and comes to 15 degrees of Aries. So moving quite fast here, gets to 15 degrees of Aries and moves into the shadow zone of the upcoming retrograde. Now, sometimes we slip into the shadow of a retrograde zone um, and we don't even notice. It's only when the hindsight brings and goes, oh, that was happening on that day. And this was the thing that I needed to re-look really at. So in Aries here, this is this whole retrograde for Mercury is happening in Aries in a really short sort of space of how many degrees? 12 degrees. Was it 12 degrees? I can't remember really bad at maths. Uh, yeah, 12 12 degrees. It's going from 15 degrees Aries to 27 degrees Aries. So just a short span. And normally it's, you know, it's double that at least. So moving into, Mercury moving into a shadow zone is almost like this is the indicator of what's coming up to be redone, reconsidered, relearned. And what you're putting in place there might have to be just dug up again, unfortunately, or, or, or you know, eventually because it's a good thing to do. But as Mercury moves on to this this shadow zone point it also sits on the north node destiny point i mean hello this is like whoa here comes mercury to sit on the eclipse point because north node is where the eclipse is about to happen so here the north node has originally been connected to chiron kind of counting the cost of self-expression 
and I can tell you what, Julian Assange would be counting the cost of self-expression, counting the cost also of war and its casualties because Chiron wants to know our sorrows and our pains and the North Node is going, yep, we need to understand that as we've discussed in other episodes. But now here comes Mercury here on the 18th of September. So I keep saying September. Here Now here comes Mercury here on the 18th of March. And we have to start talking. We have to start kind of connecting it to our brain. The Chiron conjunction was a deep inner wisdom being brought into play. But now with Mercury has to express, to communicate, to discuss and Mercury sitting on the North Node, you know, we, we would say that these are opportunities to gain connections for what's going to happen in the future. So it's really kind of like get out there and make connections. There's new information here for us, new information for us to get moving, to get started, to be Aries, to to connect to people. Um, so the fact that also it's not the shadow zone means that we're going to make connections that might then have to then unravel some things or, 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 you know, bring those opportunities in which may have a caveat and might make us want to dig a little deeper into things. So this is kind of like a little twist in there that we are going to get the connections. We are going to get the new ideas and the thoughts that are going to thrust us for us. But eventually they may cause us to have more work. Now, the Mercury retrograde starts on the 1st of April, April Fool's Day. What an April Fool's Day that's going to be. I thought we've already had a few when I've seen what's been going on in the news, but actually, no, April Fool's Day, that's when Mercury's going to go retrograde. Um, so that's when also we are going to be going, oh, I thought that was a starter, but it's actually causing me problems and I've got to reconsider them. So that's coming into play on the 18th of March. And... There we get to the uh, 20th of March, which is when equinox starts. And I save equinox and the part, the start of airy season. I will save that for our next or an episode, not next episode, but the one in a fortnight. And next episode, we'll be talking about eclipse season. So do please join me for that. Thank you for listening to this episode. Do please give me a follow if you can. And yeah, listen in next week for, for uh, more Eclipse info. And blessings to you all for this super creative, romantic, emotional Pisces Neptune flourishing. Thank you. <laughs>